be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everybody. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. I hope you're having a great spring day. Um, it certainly is getting that way in New Hampshire. Um, we have a great show today. We're going to talk about pain and pain management with our guest, uh, Dr. Jerry Lerner, who is the Chief of Pain Medicine at Sierra Tucson, and he received his medical education and specialty training at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Uh, Dr. Lerner is board certified in physical medication and rehabilitation and is a diplomat of the American Academy of Pain Management. His treatment philosophy is to serve as a guide and facilitator, bringing together knowledge and appreciation of medical, surgical, rehabilitation, and alternative strategies to serve individuals with pain, trauma, and disabilities. He is a former medical director of the Sacred Heart Rehabilitation Hospital, Mount Carmel Health and Rehabilitation Center, Performance Enhanced Rehabilitation and the Center for Integrative Pain and Rehab. He has been a clinical instructor at the Medical College of Wisconsin for over 20 years and has served frequently as a medical legal expert on cases involving injuries, pain, and disability. Welcome to One Hour at a Time, Dr. Lerner. Hi, nice to be here. Well, you know, pain is... um, I'm a nurse in addition to everything else that I do, and I can remember back when I received my nurse's training was that pain was something that, um, you know, we used to say on a scale of 1 to 10, but we also used to look at how a patient moved. Um, we looked for other signs of discomfort, and, um, and, and pain being so subjective, I think that um, it, it was really difficult to assess uh, or assess. And um, where do you think we are today with assessing pain and understanding it? Well, I think we make uh, we've made progress. I believe that uh, healthcare professionals are more conscious and conscientious about assessing for pain. But I think we have a long way to go, and it is in great part because of how complicated pain is. It is a physical sensation, but it is also an emotional response to that sensation. And so different individuals experience pain and report pain very differently. What is pain, actually? Well, pain by formal definition is a um, sensation, an uncomfortable sensation in combination with an emotion, a negative emotion uh, to that sensation. So uh, in other words, we have to be um, conscious to experience pain. So there's a sensation part and there's the emotional response and judgment to that pain. In general, isn't pain kind of a way of our bodies alerting us to stop doing something? I mean, um, I went skiing and my knee hurt, 
So I decided maybe I shouldn't mm-hmm. use sure. that kind of a turn anymore. I mean, pain is sometimes um, a signal to us, isn't it? It is. I think it's, it was designed into us as a survival mechanism. You're exactly right. You injure your knee, you fracture a bone, and your body tells you, your nervous system tells you to stop moving it. To, you actually automatically will brace against uh, that area of the body so it doesn't move as much. And that's a very uh, functional thing to do. It helps the body to heal uh, and not cause further injury. A problem comes when we're in pain for a long time and it's no longer an acute injury and it no longer needs healing, but the body keeps responding in that acute way of not moving, at which point it can actually be harmful as we continually avoid moving and avoid getting back in shape and rehabilitating ourselves. Uh, you know, this is kind of really fascinating to me because my mother was also a nurse, and I can remember growing up, and pain just wasn't accepted. Do you know what I mean? If if you were going to have something done, it's going to hurt, but then you're going to be then you're going to be better. Mm-hmm. And it was, I guess, I was never brought up to really think that pain was going to last for very long. And I wonder how much of how we perceive pain is kind of based on that. If I really dread getting a tooth pulled because I'm afraid I'm going to be in pain for three days, do I experience pain more than if I say, okay, I'm going to take some Tylenol and go back to work? Sure. Our attitudes have a a huge impact in how we experience the pain. Uh, If we're dreading something, if we focus on the potential negative outcome and terrible things that could happen, we're going to ramp up pain. Uh, on the other hand, if you know, if we're of a habit of thinking our bodies are healthy, they're going to get better if something happens, uh, we tend to ramp down the experience of the pain, which goes back to the idea that pain is both physical and psychological. And uh, so we end up modulating that pain up or down depending on our emotions, uh, attitudes, and values. Um, as you're probably acutely aware of, um, people who experience pain um, often have addictive disorders or their people with addictive disorders end up going into the hospital or hurting their back or, or being in accidents. And um, pain ma- management is... Um, to me, it seems complicated when somebody has an addictive disorder. Could you speak to our audience a little bit about that? Sure. Um, it, it becomes very complicated uh, when someone has both an addiction and a pain condition that without the addiction could benefit from certain medications. Um, I've used the term uh, in, in some talks I call about pain. I talk about pain and addiction being dueling diagnoses rather than dual diagnoses because um, to treat the pain as uh, an entity by itself, sometimes medication is very helpful, but these same medications can be very uh, challenging and, and have a very negative impact for an individual who's struggling with addiction. And I'm talking specifically about opiates in this case, but sometimes also benzodiazepines, uh, medications that can be quite addictive. Um, and so uh, when, I have, when we're working with individuals who have a painful condition and they have an addiction, we have this extra challenge of figuring out how to safely provide medication management and provide pain control without leaving this person uh, vulnerable to relapse or to abuse of their medication. 
um, it, it's a problem that won't go away. It's something that it's always a tightrope that we're walking. So are there guidelines, specific guidelines for for people who have addictive disorders when it, in terms of managing pain or prescribing? There aren't any formal guidelines, um, uh, but there are principles that we apply um, for all people with, with pain who need opiates, but they need to be applied even more stringently with individuals who, who come into the uh, for pain treatment who are already uh, uh, have a history of addiction. Um, uh, for example, all patients who are on, um, on pain medications for a significant period of time should be monitored for their appropriate use. There can be uh, pill counts to make sure that they're not overusing their medications. We can do urine checks to make sure that they're taking the medication that's prescribed and not taking things that aren't being prescribed. Um, and it's always very important to look for the non-medication strategies for pain management so we're minimizing or eliminating the need for narcotics whenever possible. And last, to, to also look at the non-addictive or safer medications that can be used for those individuals who struggle with addictions. Um, I, I, there are some things that I hear around um, the industry and around um, some of our, our families and participants. So I'm just wondering if you could, if I, if I make these statements, if you can tell me whether they're true or false and elaborate on them for me. One of the things I often hear is that um, people who have like an opiate addiction or who have um, any type of addiction have a lower tolerance of pain. Is that true? I don't think it is absolutely true, but there is uh, a tendency for um, individuals who are in longer-term opiates to be more sensitive to pain. Uh, the medical term is called hyperalgesia, and it simply means that folks who take opiates for a long period of time, actually many of them will be more sensitive to pain uh, than if they were not on those opiates. So uh, it's, a, an, uh, it's a phenomenon that's just being studied now, but is very real. And um, uh, sometimes we found actually that people, when we get them off of opiates, have less pain than when, they're, uh, when they were on the opiates. Um, and so um, do, do those folks respond better to alternative therapies than, than they would to standard pain medication, or do we not know? Um, those folks, uh, because they've been sensitized to the opiates, will do better off of the opiate medication and taking other medications and using alternative forms of therapy. Absolutely. And do, um, do pain meds cause pain? That's another thing I hear a lot. Pain meds cause pain. Um, well, uh, yes, in two ways. They can. Um, Long-term pain medications... Um, in some individuals, my experience is about 50% of people who are in long-term pain medications actually become more sensitized to the pain. So um, uh, in that case, absolutely yes. And the other thing that happens for individuals with pain, when they take pain medication, they can ignore their pain or the pain is less obvious to them, so they don't hear the feedback as well when their body's telling them that they are overdoing or misusing their bodies. So they're more likely 
to have an overuse or a strain type injury because they're not as sensitive, they're not as in tuned to their body when they're on the pain medication. Well, and I think one of the old classic um, myths that I, that I heard for years is that if you take pain meds as prescribed, you cannot become addicted to them. Um, well, that that's not accurate because um, opiate medications are in, uh, have an inherent uh, addictive quality to them. Um, when individuals take them as prescribed, uh, we don't, uh, in the pain management field, we usually don't call that addiction, but it becomes a physical dependence. That's the, the medical term we use. The body has become physically dependent on those medications. They may not be acting like an addict. They may not be abusing their medication. They may not be using it to get high, but their body is physically dependent. And if they stop that medication suddenly, they will have withdrawal symptoms. And that has to be you know, managed and taken into account. Um, so there's that physical dependence, uh, which which is true whenever you're taking uh, medication like an opiate. Why do opiates work so well for pain? Boy, well, they you know they are zero in on certain receptors in our nervous system called opiate receptors, which um, um, our bodies create our own. Uh, milder opiates, um, which are designed to help us regulate our own pain levels. And these opiate medications zero in in a very strong way on those opiate receptors. And uh, lo and behold, uh, you, you take an opiate, and for the vast majority of people, uh, the pain is gone. And, and for some people, uh, a form of euphoria or feeling high clicks in as well. Um, but... Um, uh, and that works wonderfully in the beginning, but the problem with physical dependence and tolerance and abuse uh, tends to come in over time, and they become less and less effective and more and more problematic the longer uh, people are on them. So they're great for a couple of days if you had a tooth pulled or something like that or a broken leg, but to use them week after week, month after month, so many problems involved with these. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk more about pain management with Dr. Jerry Lerner. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. 
host, Simran Singh, will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Have you figured out what's not working in your sex life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaran, for Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Tamaran has had both highs and lows in her sex life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to create more fun, intimacy, and pleasure. Her guests also come from the sexual health and wellness industry. And together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get the sex life you've always longed for. Let's figure it out intimately. Airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Our topic today is pain management, and our guest is Dr. Jerry Lerner, who is the Chief of Pain Medicine and the Interim Medical Director at Sierra Tucson in Arizona. And um, while you were all listening to the commercial, uh, Jerry and I were talking, and um, one of the things that we thought it was important to, to talk a little bit about was the difference between acute pain and chronic pain because um, they're, they're a much different experience for people. So, so, Jerry, could you elaborate on that for us? Sure. When we're talking about acute pain, we're referring to a pain of very recent onset that is basically universal. Every one of us will have pain at some point in our lives. And uh, as we talked about in the first segment, we kind of have a mental expectation with acute pain that it's going to get better. We stub our toe or we even break a bone or we get an infected tooth and we expect we'll get the right treatment and it will get better and we'll get on with our lives. Uh, and so treatment for acute pain tends to be fairly simple and fairly um, uh, direct in terms of treating uh, the source of the pain and expecting that things will resolve, which it does for about 90% uh, of pain conditions. Pain just gets better. That's the natural thing. Chronic pain is that uh, other condition where in the 10% of the time where that expectation of getting better just doesn't happen and the pain goes on and on. Um, the medical literature calls it chronic pain. We're calling it uh, at CR2 sound, we call it uh, complicated pain because usually when pain doesn't get better, it's not simply that physical problem, but it's the physical par- problem interweaving with uh, a spectrum of other um, uh, challenges and problems, uh, including um, uh, depression and anxiety, uh, unresolved trauma issues. Um, it may involve uh, metabolic changes to our body from being out of condition, um, and it can also involve uh, sort of getting tangled up with all of the 
the judgments and the psychosocial changes that go on when our life changes because of a, a physical uh, impairment. So all those things then have to be addressed with the chronic pain issue. Um, also with acute pain, uh, you know, a, a few days or a week of a pain medication typically for most people is not going to uh, run into problems with dependence or misuse. But when the pain becomes long-term is when the addictive medications become very problematic in that uh, there's more of an opportunity for abuse, for dependence, for tolerance. Uh, and so these medications have to be treated very differently. So if someone already is in recovery from um, some type of addictive substance and they go in and have a hip replacement, let's say, um, are they more at risk initially when they when they take that pain medication to get their brain re-triggered or does the pain override kind of whatever addictive process has already been established? Well, I, I think the risk is higher in this population. Um, I think the literature uh, shows us that the risk for cross-addiction, even if the addiction wasn't related to an opiate, that the, the, the risk for a cross-addiction is higher than in the you know, in the regular population exposed to opiates. So it is a problem. That having been said, if you had a hip replacement, you're going to need some kind of opiate medication for some period of time during the early recovery. Um, and that's really where the individual who is in recovery can really help him or herself by communicating with the treating physician about their history of addiction and the desire to really limit as much as possible the use of those opiates. Uh, unfortunately, some physicians today will prescribe a month's worth of pain medications when someone might only need them for a week. And I think they do that at times because it's easier to give a month's worth than to keep getting um, a call from the patient every week saying they need a refill because the pain's not improved enough. Um, but, but the complications of having that bottle of pills sitting around and having to make that self-judgment about whether to take it or not, especially if you've struggled with addiction, it's just not a healthy thing, and you really need to set some strong limits up front. Likewise, treating physicians, I think, can, could keep a closer eye on these things and really prescribe more precisely how much medication and for how long it's needed to recover from things that, can be painful and for which medications are needed. Um, what other, like, let's kind of go with the same person. Let's say they've decided I'll, I'll, I'll use the opiates for 36, 48 hours, then they still have pain. What are some other things they could do to alleviate the pain? Well, there are a lot of things. On the medication side, there are non-opiate, non-addictive medications. Uh, we're, uh, most of us are familiar with the over-the-counter type medications like ibuprofen and Aleve and uh, Tylenol. Uh, these things can be taken for most people safely. You should certainly check with your doctor if you have certain conditions, but most people can take that for a while. And uh, a lot of these medications are available in a stronger prescription version. So that's one option. Um, a muscle relaxer, and there are several of them that are non-addictive, can be prescribed and can often help with the muscle tension or spasms that occur around a painful area. Uh, 
Additionally, there are a lot of non-medications that people can use. Um, if they were thinking about it and coached about it, um, heating pads, ice packs can be quite effective. Um, acupuncture for some individual uh, can be very useful. Um, um, certain relaxation techniques, um, uh, mindfulness, uh, deep breathing, listening to peaceful music, or listening to guided visualization, all of these things. There's good literature to show that we can reduce pain levels significantly by applying these techniques. So a lot of things that can be done. Additionally, um, your doctor or physical therapist might recommend something called a TENS unit. It stands for um, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulator, which is ba it's basically a very low level electrical current, uh, a little device. You can place it over the painful area. And for about three out of four people, it will reduce the pain significantly when it's turned on. So a lot of tools that we can uh, apply other than medication and certainly other than opiate medications to get some control over the pain. Why do you think we don't use more of those alternatives routinely just for anybody, for the general population? Well, I think that there's a certain simplicity to just handing someone a pill. I think our medical community needs to hold some responsibility for um, taking the simplest and, and less least energetic uh, solution to things. I think the other issue is that a lot of us want to passively receive that pain relief and these other modalities require our active involvement. We have to take some responsibility. You know, uh, mindfulness, uh, the research is great that it reduces pain, uh, but we have to practice it. You know, you, if it was a pill, if mindfulness was in a pill, we'd all take one. But the reality is we have to take the time every day to do those mindfulness exercises, do the relaxation exercises uh, for them to be effective. Same thing with biofeedback or uh, a lot of other self-care techniques that we have to do for ourselves. Could you just briefly explain like a biofeedback in relation to pain, what someone would be doing? Uh, yes, actually, um, there are several techniques that are effective for pain. Um, the simplest uh, and probably the oldest form of biofeedback, um, and, and just to take it a step back for people that don't know what biofeedback is, bio meaning body, feedback meaning what it, what it means. So uh, individuals are hooked up to computers where they get feedback about what their bodies are doing. So things that were, are usually um, uh, run by the autonomic nervous system, things that we're not consciously managing, can be managed uh, by giving feedback about them. And the simplest way to do that is to um, monitor muscle tone. And uh, individuals who are on a, a biofeedback monitor for muscle tone can actually learn to relax muscles in ways they may not be able to do it without the biofeedback. And that muscle relaxation very typically will reduce pain levels. And then over time, people can learn to do that same muscle relaxation without the feedback. A more recent form of biofeedback uh, has to do with uh, becoming conscious of and regulating our breathing rhythm. Um, and with that, usually uh, current biofeedback will monitor our heart rate. And it turns out 
that we uh, can quite effectively uh, regulate our heart rate rhythm and our breathing with biofeedback, and that most patients, when they get that regulated and coordinated breathing and heart rate, will experience a sense of relaxation and a reduction <clears throat> in, um, uh, in their pain level. And, and so now we're... Is that something you can do at home? That's something, once you are instructed in it um, for uh, a couple of sessions, people can uh, both get a home unit, if that's useful, or really learn to do the practice. Once you get the feel of it with the machine, many people can translate that to a practice at home without the machine. Uh, and, and there's also, I was going to mention, there's a, a, um, a new science of neurofeedback now. It's biofeedback of the brain waves. And this is a fascinating area that uh, we're looking into not only in terms of pain management, but in terms of uh, mood um, and even uh, uh, brain injuries, where individuals can relearn to activate underactive areas of the brain um, and uh, uh, deal with issues of impulsivity, relaxation, hyperactivity, which can have a positive effect on pain as well. Um, it kind of sounds fascinating, like the brave new world. I mean, it's remarkable. And we'll be right back with more after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. Human Behavior, What a Trip, is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaeg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today we are talking about pain management with our guest, Dr. Jerry Lerner, who is the Chief of Pain Medicine and the Interim Medical Director at Sierra Tucson in Arizona. And, um, you know, I, a long time ago when I got out of nursing school, I worked in the operating room and we had one physician, we had one surgeon who you weren't, as soon as you were like conscious, he had you sitting on the side of the bed and you were up walking that night and, and you were at the hospital and like two or three days. We had other surgeons that would keep you in bed for a week and it would like take two weeks to recover from a gallbladder surgery or a hysterectomy. And um, it seemed like the soonest people got back into their routine, the shorter their recovery was. And so um, some of the things that, that you've been talking about are really about people's lifestyle. And, and could you elaborate on how lifestyle affects our ability to um, live with pain or um, recover from pain? Sure. Um, you're absolutely right about you know, way back in, in the old days uh, when I started practicing, um, people had a hip replacement or, you know, some major surgery and they would be in the hospital for weeks and then they'd be in a rehab hospital for a month and they would slowly, slowly start to move. And as things progressed, People were encouraged to get up right away, to uh, function from a home environment, and it turns out that people do really well when they're encouraged to move more, uh, more quickly after um, a you know a painful surgery like that. That they do a lot better, and uh, when someone lives with a long-standing pain problem, that issue is compounded because a lot of us we have that instinct not to move when we hurt. And that has really a negative impact on us in a lot of ways. Uh, first of all, when we're not moving, when we're not exercising, we get out of shape. And if you have a part of your body that maybe isn't perfect, you have a back problem or a hip problem or whatever it is, and you're not moving it, the muscles that need to support your body start to get weaker and out of shape, and it takes less and less to overdo things and to re-injure yourself. So exercise just from inherently keeping your body strong, that's very important. On top of that, the same, you know, um, if, if you read a um, popular magazine about heart disease nowadays, everybody's talking about sedentary lifestyle and diet in terms of preventing heart disease. Well, very similar problems um, that cause heart disease develop in individuals with chronic pain who stop exercising and are not eating a good diet. Um, we know now, the literature tells us that uh, the risk factor for heart disease is really a form of inflammation in our blood chemistry. And that inflammation makes the platelet stickier and it makes, there's a tendency for that um, bad cholesterol to elevate and before you know it, you've got the uh, heart disease that's developed. Well, those same elevated uh, inflammation chemicals in the blood actually make the body more sensitive to pain. So if we're going to get better, um, we have to 
keep moving. We have to exercise in order to uh, not only lower our risk for heart disease, but to lower our body's sensitivity to pain. So that's very important. And diet, likewise, uh, um, beyond just the exercise, is very important. And the same uh, foods that doctors recommend to lower your risk for heart disease are also the foods that are important to lower um, your pain sensitivity. So, you know, lean meats and lots of vegetables and fresh fruits and whole grains versus the, the processed grains and sugars, those things all help the pain uh, as well as helping uh, with your uh, risk for um, cardiovascular disease as you get older. It does seem counterintuitive that when you're in pain to get up and move. I mean, um, I know it takes a lot of uh, persuasion sometimes to get people to convinced. Sure, and sometimes we need help to get moving. You know, um, uh, we have an instinct not to move when we're in pain. And I think we talked about that early on in an interview. When you have a new injury, your body is giving you a signal not to move that area because it does help the body to heal not to move it. But when you have a pain problem that goes on, whether it's arthritis or, you know, a bad hip or you have a herniated disc in your back or fibromyalgia, these things don't benefit from sitting around and waiting for the pain go, to go away. Um, it actually makes things worse. So we have to learn how to move past the pain. And for some of us, that means working with a physical therapist or working with a trainer to find some safe ways to get back into moving our bodies and exercise. So um, it's not that dissimilar from uh, people with... Um, with uh, depression or trauma who want to avoid their emotional suffering and who need a, uh, a psychotherapist to help them to gently move into those areas that are painful to look at and uh, to begin exercising uh, mentally um, through the, the traumas of the past uh, towards a level of healing. So uh, physically, it's the same thing. We have to figure out a way to move into those areas that we're afraid will be painful and, um, and get stronger around them. Well, I think like with other chronic illnesses, people with chronic pain, the chronic pain begins to define them. It's like people will see themselves as, um, like for instance, I, we, we work with folks that have severe and persistent mental illness, so they, they begin to think that they, because they have a uh, they may experience symptoms of schizophrenia, then that's all they are. And I think people with chronic pain, their their lives become so constricted sometimes that they that's that's their whole focus. Yes, um, I, I agree. And 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 what we've experienced over the years working with folks with chronic pain is they when they come into treatment, they tend to be focused on getting rid of the negatives rather than moving towards the positives. Um, I, I call that negative goal setting. And um, so when I meet with a pain patient, the typical thing when I ask them what they want, they want to be out of pain. They don't want to hurt anymore. And, and those are negative goals. I, I, they're very understandable. But I then have to ask the question, well, what do you want your life to look like? If pain wasn't getting in the way, what would you like to be doing? In, in work and in recreation and relationships. Um, uh, and 
only when people grab onto those um, things that would make them happy and give them meaning and and they have some excitement or passion for it, do they really gain the energy to do the things that have to happen to feel better, like exercise and change diet and make adjustments in their lifestyle. Um, and the interesting thing is a lot of people will avoid setting the positive goals because they think only when the pain is gone can they start even thinking about that. But but really, once they start thinking about what they want, sometimes they find out they can actually be doing some of those things before they get better. You know, someone who has a goal, I, I want to enjoy playing with my grandchildren. Well, maybe you can't lift them up like you could if you didn't have a bad back, but maybe you can figure out some other ways to play that with them and, and interact with them in a loving way that gives you and them that, that pleasure and satisfaction. And if you used to like to go out in nature but you can't run anymore, maybe there's another way. Maybe you get on a bicycle or maybe you, uh, you know, take a gentle stroll or a drive in nature. So once people connect with the things that give them joy and pleasure, that, that really, you know, changes the energy. I say it, it, it really pushes through the inertia of, of the negativity of the, of the chronic condition. You had mentioned, I think, earlier about um, chronic pain being a combination of, of multiple factors. So when someone comes in for chronic pain, um, are you assessing for things other than just the obvious, like um, the weakness in the back or the, or the knees or whatever? Or do you assess for trauma? Is there, is there some way to... Yes, kind of... a- absolutely. So I really, I, I look at, at four different major areas with, when someone has chronic pain and they just haven't been able to get better. We certainly look at the physical things, the, the, the body as a, as a machine and, and how it's functioning and how is its alignment and its strength and, and the way it moves. And when there needs to be some support or help with that, we address it. The other three areas tend to be ignored with chronic pain. Uh, a very important one, I call it hypersensitization, and that means just the, the nervous system is sen- overly sensitized to the pain. And there's three components within that. One is, uh, is the overactivity of the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight or anxiety mode, which really does make the body more sensitive to pain, and for which you know, we talked about the tools for that, the mindfulness and biofeedback and relaxation skills. Within that also is unresolved trauma. And if you look at the statistics for individual adults with, with chronic pain, um, they are way higher than the uh, non-pain population in terms of having experienced childhood trauma, abuse, or neglect. And so there's something primed in the nervous system uh, for individuals uh, who have had major trauma, and we feel that has to be addressed specifically with therapies when their nervous system is constantly being overactivated uh, by that unresolved trauma. And, and the other sensitization we also talked about, which is that uh, long-term opiates can actually physiologically make the body more sensitive to pain. So that's the second area, hypersensitization. The third area is inflammation, which we talked about, the need for exercise and diet change. And the fourth is that inertia, that um, people get stuck and they need some help getting moving again. And that can be related to addiction, 
and, and use or abuse of medications. Uh, it's related to that negative goal setting instead of positive goal setting. Um, the other thing we often find that people, people get stuck uh, with chronic pain is um, uh, dysfunctional relationships. Their primary relationships are a big drain, and until they can either get some healing around that or set some boundaries around those draining relationships, they have a lot of trouble moving forward with um, uh, managing their, their pain. Um, and we'll be right back after this next and our final commercial with Dr. Lerner. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Maybe there is something to a 3,000-year-old healing system. Tune in every week to Holistic Healing with Herbs and Chinese Medicine with hosts Michelle Collins and Andres Figara. Herbs, acupuncture, qigong, and food can work together to treat most chronic and acute health problems. Michelle and Andres will present discoveries intended to enhance your health. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Ancient therapies can help you in modern times. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and we are talking about pain management with uh, Dr. Jerry Lerner, who is the Chief of Pain Medicine and Interim Medical Director at Sierra Tucson in Arizona. And, um, you know, uh, 
pain is certainly complicated for anyone, but as we talked about earlier in our show, the, the people who have um, some type of a, a substance use disorder, uh, pain can be really complicated. And I think what we always tell people is that you have to be an informed consumer. Don't assume that the prescriber understands what it means to have an addiction or what it means to have an addiction and be given opiates. So with that in mind, Dr. Leonard, um what kind of uh, suggestions or things can people with addictive disorders be aware of that will help them when they need pain medication? Yeah. Well, it's always a balancing act, and, and um, when it comes to addictions and pain management uh, with the use of, of addic- potentially addictive medication, it is a balancing act. Some individuals, despite whatever strategies are used, really won't be safe with an opiate, and, and unfortunately, we have to rely only on all of those other alternative strategies. But some individuals are able to, uh, with appropriate supervision and coaching uh, are able to safely use an opiate for a period of time if it's needed and improves the quality of life. Uh, The balancing act for me is, uh, yes, having an opiate available for pain management can be a trigger and a risk factor for, um, for abuse or relapse, but the other side of the coin is having completely unmanaged, uncontrolled pain can also be a trigger for relapse because some individuals, because of the severity of the pain, will be tempted or triggered to use whatever is around to get some kind of relief or, or, you know, to numb themselves for a period of time from the pain. So that, that taking those, those two sides of the equation are very important. When I do feel that an individual could potentially safely use an opiate and they have an ongoing pain problem with a substance use disorder, I almost exclusively recommend and set them up for using only the slow-release, long-acting type opiates. Uh, If someone has a pain problem that is occurring around the clock, it really makes no sense to have to take a pain pill that may last four or five hours. And uh, because what happens is that um, five or six times a day, then there's this uh, increase in pain, which uh, not only creates a lot of distress, but also the anticipation of the medication wearing off leads to a lot of anticipatory anxiety. So the person is pretty much focused all the time on, do I have a pill nearby? And, and when is that medicine going to wear off? And, you know, can I, will I have a chance to take something as soon as I need it? So to eliminate that focus on the medicine all the time, I try to encourage medications that will last um, uh, for many hours. There are now some opiate medications that can last um, three days or even seven days with a single dose. Um, And for those individuals who respond to that, that's just a a really, you know, a more effective way uh, without a lot of breakthrough and without having to worry about having a lot of pills on hand that can be abused or misused. Uh, these typically are um, topical patches of opiates, uh, one of which lasts three days, the other one lasts seven days. And if those don't work, there are still several medications now that have been formulated for 12 hours, and at least that way, you know, one can get through a whole day and a whole night without having to think about the medication or worry about wearing off. 
What do you say to, to patients who say, well, if I take this, I will break my recovery? Well, um, it's a tough thing. And um, it, I, if a person's concerned about relapsing, misusing medication, if they take that, you know, I, I, res- I, I have to respect that judgment. And, and there are many people that have come to me and said, treat my pain without an opiate. I don't care. I don't want to touch that stuff. And we do everything we can without it. But some individuals do suffer a loss of quality of life because of the severity of pain. And I think if they agree to take medication as prescribed and, uh, and remain accountable to it, um, I think that in my mind, those individuals can consider themselves uh, being true to their recovery process. I would agree with that, and I think oftentimes people suffer unduly because they don't have that perspective or because they don't understand that there are supports they can use if they are using pain medications. I know a lot of people have someone hold the pain medication for them so that they only take it as directed and use other tools as well. Yeah, I've done that as well, either with family or close a reliable friends holding medication, or even the pharmacy being willing to uh, hold medications and only, you know, give them out in small amounts. Right. Well, and, and as we talked about during the break, for, for people in recovery who want to kind of white-knuckle it and not take anything for pain, there's an equal relapse that, that will trigger cravings to use. Sure. Uh, if, you know, anytime we usually use a pain scale at zero to 10, zero is nothing, 10 is worst possible pain imaginable. And when people are running uh, higher than five on a typical basis, uh, the ability to focus, to concentrate, and to stay on task really can be compromised for a lot of those folks. And you do have to weigh that balance of, you know, are they going to be really triggered in a weak moment to use whatever's around if they don't have adequate pain management? It's a, it's a tightrope, but uh, one that can be managed with, with support. Um, could you share with our listeners a little bit about Sierra Tucson and, and what, um, I guess, what would be your typical patient that would come to Sierra Tucson to be treated for pain? Sure. Uh, Sierra Tucson is an inpatient facility in Tucson, Arizona. It, we have a level one hospital where we can uh, medically stabilize people or uh, help treat them to get through detoxification for medications if necessary. And then we have a residential program. Um, I um, am, am lucky enough to be part of the pain program here, which is one of five programs. We have an uh, addiction and co-occurring disorders program, a mood disorder program, a trauma program, eating disorder, and uh, and pain program. Um, and uh, between those five programs, our census typically runs um, anywhere between uh, 80-some folks and uh, up into the um, 100, uh, 10, 115 range on the high side. Um, the, the wonderful thing about that is all of these conditions often uh, will have co-occurring problems. So I may be supporting a person not only in the pain program, but also helping someone in the addiction track or with trauma deal with their pain as well, and vice versa. I have patients in the pain track 
who um, who have extensive trauma and need some services from that program. So we can interweave services as we go along. Uh, the pain program itself um, uh, uh, focuses on these complex issues of both mind and body with regard to pain. Um, every pain patient here will uh, have a, a physician, attending physician, and a primary therapist who will work with both in a group with other pain patients and individually for one-on-one therapies. Um, in addition to that, um, our program uh, does have supportive uh, services for physical therapy, personal training, hydrotherapy to deal with the physical issues, and also um, biofeedback and mindfulness training, uh, available EMDR and somatic experiencing for uh, unresolved trauma issues. Um, we have a strong 12-step uh, uh, programming for those who are in need of that. Um, and it's all done in this uh, beautiful setting. It's uh, over 100 acres of uh, Sonoran Desert uh, uh, right next to a beautiful mountain range. So uh, it's quite a healing environment uh, physically as well as um, the services provided. So um, I guess briefly, because we're almost out of time, the best way to reach you or Sierra Tucson is, is through the website? You can certainly go to the website. That's very easy. Uh, which is uh, SierraTucson.com, uh, or you can call uh, a toll-free uh, at uh, 800-624-9001 to get more information. Thank you so much, Dr. Lerner, for being our guest today and talking to us about pain and pain management. It's been a pleasure. Um, have a great week, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.